0: Okay, grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. Last time we saw Jacob tell his uncle to take this job and shove it. He's not working there no more, so he is now heading home because the Lord told him it was time. And so let's pray and and let's get into Genesis 32. There's a lot in this chapter so we, uh, we, we're gonna do a lot of work this morning. Um, if you're sleepy, right, if you're passive, you're gonna miss out on some incredible pictures that, that God wants, you know, he wants to apply to your life. And so check on your neighbor, make sure they're awake. Um, be ready to help them if they need help, but uh, we're, we're gonna labor in the word this morning, all right? Father, thank you for this incredible passage. Thank you for the pictures that are just so beautiful. They're so amazing and they're so applicable to our own lives. Lord, uh, I pray that each of us would be at a, you know, we just come to a place where we're broken in our dependence. Uh, we're, we're absolutely walking a dependent walk with you. And, uh, and so, Lord, uh, you know, we don't wanna have fear of men, we wanna know you and, and have our fear be reserved as a godly and a holy fear. And uh, a faith that says if you're with us, uh, we can face any problem, even the problems of our own making in the past. And so God, help us this morning, let your word speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So in Genesis chapter 32, we'll pick it up in verse one, we're gonna call this Section confirmation. This is confirmation from the Lord. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. How's that for confirmation? You know you're on the right path when the angels of God meet you in your way. And so when Jacob saw them, verse 2, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Uh, so it's 20 years later. Jacob is returning home and notice that the angels appeared. Um, it's not, not that they appeared to him, right? They do appear, but, but it's more than that. They meet him, okay? They meet him. This is an incredible thing that takes place. As Jacob moves forward in faith to obey God's command, these ministering spirit, spirits come to welcome him and to help him. Uh, man, that's, that's comforting. Now, this name, Am. Right, it signifies two companies. It means two parts, two companies. The angels likely are coming in two companies. Why? Uh, a lot of people like to imagine. You know, he looks and he sees angels. and He looks around and behind him, he sees angels. They meet him in this place, uh, and that would be fitting because you know God's help goes before us. He is our rearward guard, right? He is our, he is he is our protector. But God is showing Jacob that he's got him, right? He's on the right path, God has him, he's going to preserve him. It's like uh, Elisha's servant. you know, they're facing a difficult problem and his servant freaks out. And he has to see that God has him. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15, it says, When the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots, and the servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Our goose is cooked. Right? Uh, The man has come for us and there's no escape. And Elisha, verse 16, he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Okay, no problem then. Uh, We're covered. (laughs) Okay, this is what God's doing for Jacob. I've got you covered. You're gonna go face a difficult past, I'm with you in this, do not fear. So in this picture, what we're gonna see in Jacob is now the manifestation of his new nature in Christ. What we're gonna see is Jacob surrendered to the will of God, and by the end of this chapter, we're gonna see him completely transformed. You know, sometimes when God directs us, he makes it crystal clear that we're gonna have to deal with things, right, maybe some people from whom we've been running. For 20 years, Jacob has been running from his lies and his deceits, and now, you know, the chickens have come home to roost, it's time to collect the eggs, right? Um, yeah, so maybe that's not the right metaphor, but you get what I'm saying. I mean, it, it's, it's time to face uh, this difficult situation. You know, a lot of times God will force you to come face to face with former mistakes, former sin, maybe a former blind spot, some argument, some insult, some injury, And he wants you to be able to face it in faith. So get this down in your notes, right? God doesn't want us to have anything in our lives over which we're afraid or from which we're running. And so what he wants to do is he wants us to face it in faith. He wants us to face these trials in faith. Is he with us or not? So here's Jacob, he's afraid. I mean, going back home means he's gotta face a brother who last he heard wanted to kill him after dad died. So he has, to, he, has to face this, he has to face this lie, this deceit that he perpetrated, but he's gotta do it in faith. He has to learn that God's with him. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And that's what God's doing here for Jacob. This story in Genesis 32 describes for us what happens to Jacob the night before he has to face his brother. Uh, it, 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 it shows, you know, here's a guy that, that tomorrow he's gonna meet Esau and he's, and he's just full of fear and he's just playing out scenario after scenario. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Tomorrow's gonna be a hard day and you're just up all night imagining all of the ways that it can go wrong? I mean, Jacob's, Jacob's at this point, he's probably imagined 20 different ways that his head leaves his body, right? Like he's trying to work through how this is going to go down. He knows Esau. Um, Before it's all over, though, we're going to find out God's done a work in Esau's life. You know, everybody that you know in Christ that's a hot mess, if you write them off as a hot mess for the rest of their life, or the rest of your life, this is somebody that is just a total loser or they're a total loss in some regard, what you're doing is you are absolutely being faithless. God is at work in his people. That loser that you knew yesterday, God's at work in them, right? That rage monster that you knew yesterday, God's at work in them, and tomorrow, they're gonna be a mighty man or a mighty woman of faith because God's in the business of maturing his kids, right? I mean, somebody that, you you know, yesterday you couldn't stand, well, life's gonna happen to them too, and at some point, they're gonna outgrow you. (laughs) They're gonna mature. They're gonna develop, right? Never just write somebody off. Be full of faith that God's at work in the lives of people. So, you know, last he knew, Esau still felt homicidal. We know that from Genesis 27, 41. Okay, so in this next section, we're gonna call this confusion and following God. Uh, God has to clue him in, okay? In verses four and five, Right, remember, it's been 20 years since Jacob made a covenant at Bethel with the God of all grace. And Jacob had tried to bargain with God, but God had met Jacob where he was at. God blessed him and and now he's coming back 20 years later, full, he is blessed, and now he has to face his brother. And so Jacob sees these angels, verse two. He says, this is God's host, and he called the name of that place uh, uh, Mahanam, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir. The country of Edom, and he commanded, saying, "Thus shall you speak unto my lord Esau: thy servant Jacob hath thus said: I have journeyed with Laban and have stayed there until now, and I have oxen and asses and flocks and men servants and women servants that I have sent to tell my lord that I may find grace in thy sight." And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, "We came unto thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him." Oh. Verse seven, that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people that was with him, the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. And so there it is again, Uh, the the angels of God meet him. He calls the name of that place Mahanaim. Uh, That means two parts and so somehow he's getting insight maybe and, and so he divides his, everything that is his into two companies. Why? Verse seven says he was greatly afraid and distressed. What comes next? Well, he divides them, the flocks, the herds, the camels, into two bands. Um, Esau, your brother, we, t- you know, we, t- we told him. We explained what God did in your life these last 20 years and so he's coming to meet you with 400 men. Uh, verse seven, he's afraid. Well, a guilty conscience doesn't need to be afraid or a a guilty conscience is afraid, a a clear conscience doesn't need to be afraid. A guilty conscience needs no accusing. He is in fear, he's distressed, and so what happens is, is he sends these two companies and this night he's gonna tarry alone, right? He's gonna stay back. Why? Well, the fear of man bringeth a snare. But he doesn't stay back alone, God deals with him. As a matter of fact, he has to wrestle with God all night. We'll see that before we're done. So in verse eight, we see that Jacob is very shrewd. He divides the people and his flocks into two bands so that if Esau comes to fight, he's not gonna be able to get everybody at once. Whichever company that he engages in battle, the other will, they'll be able to flee, they'll have time. He's dividing his company so that at least some might escape. Verse eight says, "If Esau come to one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape." And Jacob said, he turns to the Lord in prayer, "O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord, the Lord which said unto me, return unto thy country, and to thy kindred, and I will deal I will dwell I, I, I will deal well with thee,' I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff." I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me, the mother and the mother with the children. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Okay, so Jacob is shrewd. He divides the company into two so that at least half can escape or have the chance to escape. But second, in verses nine through 12, he shows wisdom in coming to God first in prayer. He prays to God first, he's afraid, so he takes that care, he takes that fear to the Lord. Man, what an incredible example to us. That is always the right first response to any problem. Take it to the Lord in prayer. We must always pray and faint not, don't stop. Right, God answers prayer. He doesn't answer intent, he doesn't answer neglect, he answers prayer. In verse nine he prays to God by name. Look at that, oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, the Lord which spoke to me about blessings in my country. So he's praying to God as the God of a covenant relationship. We've got history all the way back to my granddad. See we pray to God the Father in Jesus' name. That's how we acknowledge the the relationship that we have with the triune God. The Bible reveals to us that that we pray in the Holy Ghost. Uh, We are joined to the Lord by one spirit. All access to the Father is through Jesus. He bought, he purchased us that right, that place, that position as a child of God. And so it's all in Jesus' name that we pray to the Father. We pray in covenant relationship with him. In verse nine, he reminds God of his word. God, remember what you promised me. So we need to do the same when we call on the Lord. We need to call Him according, a call on him, we need to pray to him according to the promises of what he said over our lives. We don't come to God effectively praying in our own will, praying what we want, how we want, the way we want it. No, Lord, you said, so here's what I'm trusting you for. We wanna pray in faith according to his word. And then verse 10, he's thankful. And he gives praise to God for his blessing on his life. He says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy thy servant. Uh, Look at, I mean, um, look at these two big companies that you've made me now. So he's giving thanks to God for blessing. So you want to do the same thing in everything with thanksgiving, right? That's how we approach God in prayer. Recount the goodness of God and, and bless him over how good he's been to you. And then verse 11, he makes his request known. He takes his fear to the Lord. First Peter five, verse seven says that we're to cast all our care on him because he careth for you. So he's candid, he's not lying. God knows everything, so he's not hiding it. He's not hiding his fear. He just takes it to the Lord and he gives him an honest plea. God, I'm afraid of my brother, I'm afraid of Esau. He wasn't making a prayer at God. He was pouring his heart out to God. Do you see the difference? A lot of times we fall into the trap of saying words at God. No, God is there. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Right, Talk to him. Take your burden. Cast your care on him. Know that he cares for you. Get honest with God. What's he doing? Well, he's already laying hold on God. We'll see he actually does that here in a minute. This whole thing is just a beautiful picture of the power of prayer here in Genesis 32. So he's very earnest in prayer. Uh, He's not lying to God, he's not lying to himself, he humbles himself before the Lord. Uh, There's no sneaky plans now. There's no, you know, what am I gonna do to trick Esau and get around his wrath? No, it's just tactical wisdom and pleading in prayer. In 1 Peter chapter five, if you go back one verse, you see a great key in getting hold of God. Verse six says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. And that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourself. Uh, you know, God loves to help the weak, He loves to help the helpless. It's not by our might, it's not by our power. Let's just go to the Lord and ask for Him to do what only He can do. So he said he wasn't worthy of how God had blessed him. He gets low before the Lord, and, and he also, when he shows up and he meets his brother, He gets low before Esau, he humbles himself before his brother, we'll see that in just a minute. You know, God promises his people in Matthew 17, 20, he said, because of your unbelief, for I verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Just humble yourself, get full of faith, trust God to do what only God can do in your life. Every time in my life where I've come up against something that I can't do anything about, uh, you know, I keep getting embarrassed, uh, it's embarrassing to me in my own heart, in my own life, how many times I've tried to tackle problems in my ability, my wisdom, my strength, my power, and it doesn't work, you, know, you hit a dead end and all of a sudden, you, you know, like eventually you wake up and you realize, only God. And then I get a hold of the Lord and I'm like, God, you're the only solution to this problem. Without fail, God always shows up and he makes a way, he takes care of business. And I think to myself, why didn't I start there? And uh, praise the Lord, at least I got there. You know, whatever it took to get you to a place of faith and humility before the Lord, praise the Lord for that. But man, at some point, you know, you think I'd learn this lesson. And I would just start out with faith and humility and, and, and save myself a lot of grief. Verse 13, he lodged there. Jacob is spending the night by himself. He, need, he needs some downtime. Uh, to get his head straight, <laughs> okay. So, verse thirteen. He lodged there that same night, and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau his brother: two hundred she goats and twenty he goats, two hundred ewes, twenty rams, thirty milk camels and their colts, forty kine, ten bulls, twenty she asses, ten foals. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and and said unto his servants, Pass over before me and put a space betwixt drove and drove, right? Don't have the two companies together, okay? You know, just uh, these, uh, these, uh, these, I'm sorry, not the, comp- the, the, the different sets of gifts, right? Uh, the little herds, put some space between them. As the, as the gifts show up, they should come in, in um, intermittent success, uh, succession, right? So, you know, 200 she goats show up. And then after a bit, 20 he goats, and then 200 ewes, and then 20 rams. Space them out, is what he's saying. Verse 17, and command the foremost saying, when Esau my brother meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, whose art thou, and whither goest thou, and whose are are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, they be thy servant Jacob's, it is a present sent unto my lord Esau, and behold, also he is behind us. And so command he the second and the third and all that followed the drove saying, on this manner shall you speak unto Esau when you find him. And and say ye moreover behold thy servant Jacob is behind us for he said I will appease him with the present that goeth before me and afterward I will see his face peradventure he will accept of me. So went the present over before him and himself lodged that night in the company and he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. and he took them and sent them over the brook, and sent over that he had. So what he's doing here is he's sending very large gifts to his brother Esau. Proverbs 17:8 says, "A gift is as a precious stone in the eyes of him that hath it. whithersoever it turneth, it prospereth." In chapter 18 verse 16, "A man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men." In 21:14, it says, "A gift in secret pacifieth anger." and a reward in the bosom, strong wrath. So there it is, you know, he's, he's showing his sorrow and his repentance. How? By making restitution, right? There's, what he's sending over is a very large, very extravagant gift, and, and it's just a token of his repentance. And so with that, he's ensuring Esau, he's not there to claim his rights, right, to the double portion. He wants Esau to know he's blessed, he's content with what he has. Uh, It's it's showing his brother a couple of things. A, he's not sneaking into the land behind his back, but he's also not coming to claim anything that belongs to Esau. He's not coming to take something that Esau may have as an inheritance and try to take it for himself. So Jacob's being very generous to Esau But at the same time, he's being very shrewd in terms of military tactics, okay? By taking everything that he has and spreading it out, even the gifts that he's giving, uh, what he's doing is he's dividing Esau's focus and potentially his forces, right? If, If you've got wave after wave of herds arriving, well then it's gonna be tough to set up an ambush, right? Because somebody can run back and say, yo, he's behind that rock with 400 men uh, ready to take you out, okay? So, so that's pretty smart. Uh, it degrades Esau's military preparedness. Uh, he's got too many points of focus and it's gonna slow him down. It's gonna make his arrival much noisier because he's got all these different groups that he's dealing with. And then it also would, would you know, as Jacob takes possession of these droves and, and, and these shepherds that come with them, what's happened is he's actually placed his own forces inside Esau's camp. Like if it is on like Donkey Kong, Jacob's got some guys on the inside that can wreak havoc uh, from the inside of Esau's focus. So if there's fighting, Jacob's got help um, if, if fighting breaks out. Now with all of that, i just make this point, you know Jacob's still you know, when he's, when, he's, when he's on his way to Laban, he meets God at Bethel, Bethel, right? He learned just too little about God when he left, and he learned a lot about man in Haran, right, while he was gone. Uh, he learned how men connive, and I mean, he just saw more of himself in his uncle, is what he saw. I mean, this is just his view of mankind. It's just conflict. Uh, it's, it's, it's adversarial, and, and so he's, he's bringing some of that mentality back with him. How do I stay alive in the promised land when my brother wants to take me out? So get this down in your notes. 20 years earlier, Jacob had fled from Esau to find Laban. Now he's fleeing Laban to be confronted by Esau. What's happening? Well, a lot of times we'll try to ignore, we'll try to forget our sins, but our sins never forget us. Be sure your sin finds you out. At some point, some, at some place, at some time, someday there's gonna be a reckoning. And in this case, it's Esau, Proverbs 18, 19 says, a brother offended, it's harder to be one than a strong city, and their contentions are like bars of a castle. Uh, some people, they just get hurt, they get offended, and, and uh, there's just, you can't do anything to break through and be reconciled. Uh, well, Because they were offended, they're hurt over it, and, and you're the problem. Okay, so, so don't miss this picture. Jacob's goal is to propitiate Esau, right? So that Esau would forgive him. At this point, what's Jacob doing? Don't miss the picture. He's trying to work for salvation, do you see that? He's trying to give of his ability, of his wealth, of his might, in order to propitiate Esau so that Esau won't kill him. The picture there is one of salvation, deliverance through works, do you see that? Do you see that? That's the picture that we're seeing here. He's trying to work for his salvation. Even after seeing God's encampment round about him, right, the the angels of God meet him, he still devised his own two camps so there will be something between his family and Esau. How are we gonna survive? How are we gonna escape the wrath to come? And so he's trying to figure out a way to to make his enemy not so mad at him. Here's the clue, Jacob was afraid of Esau. And that's the question, where's his faith gonna be in facing Esau's rage? In verse 20 he says, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face, peradventure he will accept of me. Okay, hello, that's not how the believer has to operate. First Timothy chapter, or second Timothy chapter one verse seven says that God hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Okay, so what he needs to do is he needs to actually see who God is in his life so that he won't have to fear man. Okay, so in this next section, we're gonna call this the confrontation with God. Verse 24, and Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him. Uh, So not that alone, you know. uh, God never leaves or forsakes his people. Sometimes that's a fight. And so here it is. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Man, that had to have hurt. You ever had anything out of joint? How many have had, had, had a bone out of joint before? Super uncomfortable. Um, sometimes I'll get a rib out of joint. It's hard to breathe, right? I mean, his, his thigh is out of joint and he's still wrestling. I, I'm just telling you, Jacob was a tough dude. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince thou ha- hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. And he passed over Peniel, the sun, as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose upon him and he halted upon his thigh. key passage, we'll break it down here in just a second. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in in the sinew that shrank. Okay, so in verse 24, what Jacob does is he gets alone with God, right? He's gonna spend the night alone, but God meets him there, okay? So in verse 24, let's call that the wrestling phase with God. Jacob wrestles with God all night, Hosea 12 verse four tells you that this man is termed the angel, okay? It's called the angel, that's who he wrestled with that night. He wrestled with the angel, Hosea 12 verse four. So this is another theophany. This is the angel of the Lord. In other words, a pre-incarnate manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ shows up and clinches with Jacob and they're wrestling all night. If you've been engaged in a wrestling match, okay, Braden, A wrestling match, how long does that last? Three minutes in kids' clubs, seven minutes in college. Okay, three as a kid, so seven minutes in college. In Olympic wrestling, do you know what that is? Six Six minutes? Oh, so it goes down from there. Okay, seven minutes max. This is all night. Have you ever wrestled so long you threw up? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's hard work, okay? I mean, this, again... Jacob's a hoss, that's all I'm saying. Okay, he's, you know, everybody wants to paint him as some wussy compared to Esau, and probably that's true, but but you wouldn't want to mess with Jacob. I mean, this guy has the capacity to go all night. And he's fighting with the Lord. A theophany is a visible manifestation of deity. It's the presence of God by actual appearance. God shows up and says, let's rumble. You and me, right now, we're gonna get this straight. And so they go at it, right? And the picture there, remember, the, before this wrestling match, what did Jacob do? He humbled himself and he admitted what was wrong. I'm afraid of Esau. I'm not worthy of the incredible way that you've blessed my life. Here I am now in two companies <laughs> trying to figure out how I'm gonna keep my I'm afraid of Esau. You made all these promises to me. What are we gonna do? Okay, so this is God answering Jacob's prayer. And the picture is one of prayer in wrestling with God in prayer, right? It's, and it goes all night. He, why does it go all night? Well, he's desperate. Jacob is desperate for a way out. Uh, the picture is one of importunity in prayer. In Luke chapter 11, the Lord gives this example or illustration of what it means to be importune in prayer. He said unto the disciples, he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Okay, I gotta tell you something, man. Uh, if you come to my house and you're knocking on my door in the middle of the night, uh, I finally you know, rouse up, hey, good luck, I sleep, I mean, Once I'm out, I'm gone. Okay, but let's say you get my attention. I come to the door and you're like, I need three loaves of bread. (laughs) Duck, I might swing. I mean, not a striker, but that might get me. Okay. Like, what in the what? This could have waited until the. Nah, I got somebody coming first thing in the morning. I need three loaves of bread. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay. Look at what the Lord says it's a friend. And the guy's desperate. He wants to be hospitable. He messed up. You have to help him. You don't wanna help him. It's the middle of the night. He woke you up. I mean, how rude is that? And yet, right, it's your friend. Look at what he says. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, and because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth, if nothing else, just to make him go away so he can get back to sleep. He'll give him what he needs and I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. J- Jacob comes to the Lord in desperation. God, except you intervene, I'm a dead man walking. <laughs> Lord, you, you have to have, I'm not deserving of your mercies, but what's he really saying? I need mercy, I'm desperate for your mercy. You know, the Lord shows up, instead of just falling before him, uh, he just continues fighting. You know, resisting is always the first reaction. It's common at first. Pride keeps us from submitting. Yet Hosea 12.4 tells us that Jacob prayed with tears. Hosea 12.4 says, Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel and there he spake with us. Okay, so it's like Hezekiah, you know? It's a, he's dying, what's he gonna do? Go and say to Hezekiah, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. What's he gonna do? What can he do? He just gets humble and he cries out to the Lord. He gets desperate in prayer, importune in prayer. Behold, I will add to thy days 15 years. God will let us wrestle with him in prayer to show us our weakness and our lack, Jacob is getting ready to face something that is beyond his ability. His brother could always whip him. Why would he assume anything has ever changed? Uh, this, This battle that I'm facing, potentially tomorrow, is beyond my capacity. What else can he do but wrestle with God, humble himself before him, and get an answer from the Lord? Okay, so the Lord starts dealing with him. And instead of just getting humble and submitting, Right? He's just still wrestling. Instead of just saying, okay, Lord, you're here to take my burden, you know, the Lord's like, here, let me get that from you, and he clenches, and Jacob's like, well, let's go, and so he, you know, he's just going to keep wrestling this thing all night, and, and so, so it starts out as resisting, but you know, God eventually uh, cripples him, so that's the next phase, crippling. At some point, God has to bring you to the end of self, the end of strength, the end of self-sufficiently. Uh, self-sufficiency, uh, so what does he do? He touches his thigh and the, the sinew shrinks, right? He, he can't prevail, they're wrestling, Jacob won't give up, so he touches his thigh, now his thigh, the hollow of his thigh is out of joint, Jacob just keeps wrestling. The thigh is the seed of, of fleshly power, and it's kind of interesting, the picture. Now his, his fleshly strength is gone, but he continues to wrestle like he's gonna have the ability to win. And so easily, God brings this fight to a close, right? Uh, Jacob now has the fight taken out of him with one touch. The sufficiency that you think you have in the flesh, it's so transitory, it's so weak, it's so frail. With just one touch, it evaporates. One touch, Jacob's power to wrestle is gone. And that has to happen in the life of every believer. If you're gonna really see the power and blessing of God over your life, at some point, you have to come to the end of yourself. At some point, the source of your strength has to be touched, it has to be broken, so that his strength can be made perfect in your weakness. You know, Peter heard from the Lord how the Lord had to suffer be beaten and crucified, lay in the grave for three days. And in Mark 8, the Bible says that Peter began to rebuke the Lord and so what did the Lord do? The Lord rebuked him, told him to get behind him, Satan. Right, he doesn't savor, he, he doesn't actually value the things that God, uh, the things of God, the things that God values. At some point, you know, here's Peter, his wisdom is wrestling against the Lord and that has to be broken. He's so sure of himself, he's so sure of his fidelity, his strength, his faithfulness, uh, how he's gonna always be for the Lord no matter what. Okay, Pete, let's put you in the pressure cooker. Your pride, your will has to be broken. And it all comes down to the point where a, a girl, a maid, says you're with him, this guy that's getting beaten, where everything's going wrong, and he denies him three times. I mean, after his death and his burial, what does Peter do? Man, his tail is so between his legs, even in the resurrection, when the Lord finds him, he finds him fishing, you know? Uh, the Lord has to come to him and, and, and ask him, Peter, do you love me? Three times, so that Peter can affirm uh, his heart for the Lord three times after three denials. And then the Lord say, you know what, Pete, you're gonna get your wish. You're gonna actually lay down your life for the cause of the kingdom. Uh, And man, God used Peter mightily. Uh, The boldness, the faithfulness with which Peter was able to minister before the Lord. It was magnificent. Uh, We're actually looking at that right now in our Acts study uh, in the Living Faith Bible Institute. Uh, You just see the transformation that takes place in Peter's life and it's not a function of his ability in the flesh. It's a function of God's promises being answered at Pentecost and the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out on this man. And where before he's denying the Lord before a maid, before a girl, right? Now he's boldly preaching Christ before the very people that crucified the Lord. It's incredible. Uh, But we have to come to the end of ourselves before the power of God can be manifest. So God cripples him And now he can't wrestle, so all he can do is cling. He just hangs on, right? And he says, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And the reason that that Jacob got injured is because he wouldn't surrender, right? It was Jacob's fault that the fight lasted all night. God could have delivered him quicker if he would have just surrendered. He wouldn't surrender, so what has to happen? Well, he has to have his strength removed. So now his power to wrestle is gone. All he can do is cling to the Lord, and so God's saying, you know, Okay, you, you came in walking, but you're going to be limping out. Yeah, right. You 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 came in full of yourself, but I'm going to def- I'm going to pop your bubble, boy. And so now your limp is going to remind you that you're not who you used to be. All of these years, you used to be a supplanter. You used to be a schemer. You thought you were a wrestler. You could just you could force life to give you what you wanted. No more. You're going to walk independence now. Jacob, for the rest of his life, he has, to, he has to lean his entire weight. If he's gonna move anywhere, if he's gonna get forward on any level, in any capacity, it's going to be independence. He halts on his thigh for the rest of his life. He's gonna have to walk with help forever. So now he goes from a clinger, right? He, he, the, the schemer is no longer capable. Now he has to be a clinger for the rest of his life, his strength is broken. This resistor is now a clinger to God. Do you see that picture? So many of us, we go through life, right? Life isn't working out the way that we want, and so we're fighting, we're scheming, we're wrestling, we're trying to make life, we're trying to wring out of life what we want for ourselves. And if we would just give up and bow the knee, right? If we would just give up and get humble, uh, God wouldn't have to break us so bad. But, you know, I've heard it said, Many times by many different people, uh, the old timers would, would, would say it in some form like this You know, before God can greatly use someone, he must first greatly break them, right? It'll be some riff on that. Uh, it's, it's a broken life that God uses. This has to happen with Jacob. He's, he's, he's like so many of us. You know, before, um, before I. You know, I heard the call to make disciples in Midtown, and I didn't know how to proceed to do it. I I gave it to the Lord, and it was during that season of prayer that I broke my back in a boating accident, as a jet ski accident, um, at a pastor's retreat. And um, uh, L1, I think, got went from this to this, right? There's a compression fracture, and, and what happens is, is everything moves in your back. And, and uh, I, when, when my back broke, I thought that, that wasn't good because um, I felt something move in my back, and I thought I heard a noise. And, and uh, then the spasms started, and I couldn't breathe. And I kept thinking, if I could just get off this bike, if I could get off this jet ski and get in the water and just lay out, you know, I could get my, my breath. It just, the spasms kept coming. And they continue to this day. Um, you know, it was, an, it, was a, it was a weird, wild time. Uh, whenever I came to Midtown with a, with a small group of people to trust God to make disciples and train and equip people to see the kingdom multiply, it wasn't gonna be in the power of my strength. It wasn't gonna be in my ability to work really hard and do all of the right things. It was gonna have to be a miracle. God was gonna have to move and work through this broken man, this broken person, and, and, uh, and praise the Lord, he is faithful. Jacob got in, injured because he wouldn't surrender. Uh, that's, that's how it worked out uh, in his life. His strength is broken, and now he's dependent. Psalms 42, one says, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Proverbs 18, verse 10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous runneth into it and is safe. Uh, At some point, God has to be everything. He's gotta be the only way, the only solution, right? He has to be the all in all. And notice it took a touch from God to bring Jacob past the point of scheming to a place of importune clinging to God. I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Uh, Is that how a supplanter acts? Is that how the deceiver works? You know, in Genesis 25, 26, uh, you see who he was, but now look, he adds, except thou bless me, right? I need you to do what only you can do in my life. I mean, how can you win over God? Jacob did it, he won him over. We can only overcome spiritually by the supernatural strength that God himself gives to us, that he is in and through us. And so this is key, Jacob persisted until breakthrough came. Well, We gotta do the same thing. Jacob's hard attitude was is, I don't know how I'm gonna face tomorrow. The only way I can do it is you're gonna, you're gonna do it, right? You're gonna bless me. And so you're saying let me go, I will not let you go, right? Stop waking me up in the middle of the night with your wrestling. I need those three loaves, right? I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And because of his importunity, the breakthrough came and the Lord did, the Lord blessed him. At some point we gotta get that attitude that Job had in Job thirteen fifteen. he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I don't care if it all goes wrong, I don't care if it looks like this is the end, I'm gonna keep clinging to the Lord. In chapter 14, verse 14, he says, all the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. I will never give up on God, I will cling to him even if it looks like the end. That's what Habakkuk meant when he said in Habakkuk 3 verse 17, though the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, there shall be no herd in the stalls. Everything's going to pot. What's my response? Yet will I rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. At some point, When everything's going wrong, you gotta just decide, I'm gonna get my praise on, I'm gonna cling to God in prayer, and I will not let go until he brings me through. I will cling to God when my life comes apart. And so, the Lord, I mean, look, in verse 27, you know, here here we see the yielding take place. Now Jacob has a new name. In verse 27, he says to him, the, the Lord Jesus says to Jacob, what is thy name? And he said, "Jacob. Okay, the last time somebody asked him his name, he lied. Remember that? What's your name? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm. Esau, your son. Have some, have some deer chili. Okay, so there it is. So the picture here is this new name shows his new nature. It's not Jacob supplanter anymore. It's Israel, prince with God. And how cool is that? What is thy name?" Who art thou, my son? Uh, I'm Esau. Wait, art thou my very son, Esau? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He lied to get a blessing before, right? Now he tells the truth and gets this great blessing from the Lord. He just submits and receives the blessing. Before, his schemes brought him to nothing. Uh, It brought him to 20 years of just a a hell job under an Antichrist boss, you know, Laban. I mean, it was just horrible. It brought him to nothing. Now he has a relationship with God. So the picture here with this new name is the picture of him being born again. Don't miss that. So prevailing prayer with God requires a complete end of self. At some point you recognize my life, my scheming, what I'm doing to try to wring out of life what I want for myself, it just keeps bringing me to my capacity, what I can produce for myself, and it's not blessedness. Right? I keep getting out of life what I sow into life and I keep reaping corruption. At some point I have to just say, what I'm doing is not working. God, I'm surrendering my life to you. That's what had to happen at salvation. Repentance, right? Repentance toward sin, repentance from a life of sin and faith toward God through the finished work of Christ at Calvary. At some point you had to come to the end of yourself and cry out for mercy, forgiveness and salvation. Notice the name of the place, right? So after the yielding comes the testifying. He says, I've seen God face to face. I mean, what an incredible testimony. I've seen God. You know, nobody can stay the same after they've seen the Lord. It changes you. It changes who you are. To see Jesus is to see God. In John fourteen nine, he says, he that has seen me hath seen the Father. Has Christ showed up in your life? That'll change you. It'll change who you are. So he's testifying, but he also walks halting. He, as he passed, he halted upon his thigh. His walk now shows that he's a God conquered man, right? He's not a self-sufficient man. He's not an independent, self-made man. No, he's a God conquered man. And he has to now walk with help for the rest of his life. Joseph, or Jacob, is literally broken before God. You know, Jacob before naturally depended on his own strength and his own wisdom. Uh, His brother could probably take him in a fight, absolutely, but Jacob was no, I mean, he was no wussy, right? Jacob was legit, I mean, he was a a hoss. And so he was self-reliant, self-dependent. He relied on his own strength and wisdom. Now he's crippled, so he has to depend on the Lord. He has to have help. And that's a necessary part of spiritual growth. Notice the picture. The Bible says the sun rose upon him and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the, in the sinew that shrank. Okay, so this is, this is an incredible picture, okay? The sun is rising and he is limping. How was the Lord able to shine or rise upon Israel, rise upon Jacob? Think about Malachi chapter four. Verse two, when Israel is saved nationally, what happens? It's when the sun of righteousness arises. The sun, S-U-N, capital S-U-N of righteousness arises with healing in his wings. In Malachi chapter four, Israel is saved with the rising of the sun. And so you see that pictured in the life of Jacob, now named Israel, right? This salvation comes into his life. He is a changed man. Uh, The picture is one of being born again. Romans chapter 11 says when the Lord returns, when the son of righteousness arises with healing in his wings, all of Israel, Romans 11, shall be saved, right? As the sun rises, they are now saved in dependence on the Lord as their Messiah in the millennial reign. Uh, An incredible picture, right? As Israel moves in the rising of the sun, he is beginning a dependent walk with the Lord. And then the picture just keeps going. The sinew only shrank, it, it wasn't removed, right? The Lord didn't take it out of his thigh, it just shrinks. Well, that's the flesh, right? The flesh isn't removed from the life of the believer and it does make, our life in the flesh does make for a halting, stumbling walk with God. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter seven, I know that in me in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, he calls this life in the flesh, um, he says, oh wretched man that I am, right? Uh, we, you know, the, 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 When we get saved, the flesh's hold on us shrinks away, but we're still in this body of sin, this body of flesh. And so it makes for a halting, dependent, stumbling walk with the Lord. And then he calls the name of the place uh, Peniel, uh, the face of God. Peniel means face to face. Uh, in Exodus 33, verse 20, we find out that facing God means death, okay, to, to fleshly life. Uh, fleshly life cannot exist before a holy and righteous God. So Exodus 33:20, 20, God says, thou canst, thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Gideon saw the angel of the Lord and said, alas, O God, for because I've seen an angel of the Lord face to face. He didn't know if he was gonna live out the minute, right? Isaiah, same thing, Isaiah six, verse five. Then I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He sees a theophany, and he thinks, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. Okay, so again, no man has, anybody sees God the Father, Let's, let's say, I'll say it like this, if God the Father literally, spiritually, physically, showed up in this room, okay? Um, if we could get it on video, the appearance would be that we're all vampires. Because when that light shows up, we'll all be like, Wah! burst into flame. I mean, like, it'll, like, it's over, right? Uh, it's like a bacon bit on a hot griddle. It'll just burst into flame, okay? Because no man, I mean the Bible can't be more clear about this, right? There shall no man see me and live. Okay, this is why we need the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, who is one with God the Father, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, these three are one, okay? They're the same guy and yet they're three. I'll spend the rest of eternity working on that one, okay? Jesus said in John 14, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Uh, it's, through the Lord Je- it's through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that we can know the Father, that we can, we can have relationship with the Father, that he will actually be a Father to us. If you've seen him, if you've got Christ in your life, you have the Father, and so here's Jacob. <sighs> I've seen God face to face. I can't believe I'm alive. Man, at some point, you do have to see God face to face. At some point, You have to come and you have to submit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yeah, you'll limp for the rest of your life. Yeah, you'll absolutely be dependent on God for the rest of your life. That will never change. That won't change for eternity. You will, from that moment of meeting God, you will be dependent upon him for the rest of your life. Why? Well, because Christ is our life. He is the all in all. Your life is no longer sourced in your flesh, in your ability, in your strength, in your wisdom, in your self-reliance or self-sufficiency. All of that gets broken when you meet Jesus. And, and, and you'll be tempted to say the same thing, right? Man, I've seen God face to face. That's why I'm limping. I've seen God face to face. That's why I can move forward and face my brother. That's why I can move forward and face the cares and the problems and the sorrows of life because I've got Christ in my life. I'd like us to bow our heads. I'd like us to humble ourselves before the Lord together and, and just seek the Lord for a few minutes. How many today would say, Pastor, please, would you pray for me because I've been wrestling with God and I need to just give up. I need to humble myself. I need to quit fighting with the Lord. I'm gonna just cling to him. Until I get that answer to prayer. Let me see your hands. I want to pray for you. Okay, I'm going to do that. Some of you, uh, you need to put a stake down this morning. And you need to come forward. And you just need to get on your knees before the Lord. And you need to tell him, I'm done fighting. I'm just going to keep clinging. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to let go till you bless me. I'm going to just keep a position of importune dependence on you. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe get a, one of the elders, one of the elder men or ladies to pray with you over that situation. How many would say, Pastor, please pray for me? Uh, I've never met the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know that I have him in, in my life. I don't know that I've been born again. Uh, I'm still walking in my power, my strength, my flesh, my ability, because I don't have God in my life. Pastor, would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that in this service? Please pray for me. I don't know that I'm saved. Let me see your hands. Okay. Anybody else? Father, Lord, I pray that we'd look at the example, uh, the life of, of Jacob, and that, Lord, we'd learn from it, you know, you gave us these things, these things were written uh, for our admonition, they're in samples for us, and uh, Lord, they're supposed to, they're supposed to take time off the learning curve for us, and so God, I, I do pray for my brothers and sisters that Lord, we got so many that are, that are, that are fighting and they're wrestling, over problems in their life. Some it's their marriages, some it's their kids. Some it's, uh, it's some relationship gone wrong in this world, in this life. And, and, and some people are in a situation where they're kind of facing their own Esau. And they're facing their own consequences over their own deceit, their own rebellion uh, in the past. And, and Lord, we just want to say, you're big enough for all of these things. And Lord, we we wanna follow Jacob's example, get humble before you, get honest with you, cast our care on you. Lord, stop fighting with you, but just cling to you. Uh, Come to the place where we're just gonna be dependent and not let you go. Everything's going wrong, looks like there's no hope, and yet, even if you you take us out with these circumstances, uh, we're gonna trust you. Uh, Lord, at some point, we're going to trust you to be glorified in and over through our life because, God, we've tried so many ways. We've done so many things in and of ourselves. We try to do the things that we think are right. We just keep making messes. And so, God, we give up. And we give it over to you. And we will not let you go except you bless us. And, Lord, for some, uh, that means a new relationship, a new name in Christ. Uh, that means being born again. Um, walking now haltingly in dependence on you. Uh, for others, it means rededicating our lives. We need to get back to that place of simple faith that we had at salvation. Lord, we're your children, you're God, so have your way with us right now, we pray today. In Jesus' name, Amen.